Governor Strickland bets on gambling to fix the state budget. New nukes for Piketon and keeping college grads in Ohio. These topics and more this week on Columbus on the Record. From the Battelle studio at WOSU at COSI, this is Columbus on the Record. WOSU-TV's weekly analysis of the top stories affecting Central Ohio. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Kathy Kandiski, State House reporter for the Columbus Dispatch. Karen Kassler, State House Bureau Chief for Ohio Public Radio and TV. Bob Clegg, Republican strategist, and Greg Haas, Democratic strategist. Facing a $3 billion budget deficit over the next two years, Governor Strickland is playing a new card. He now says he favors expanded gambling as a way to raise revenue. This is a reversal for the governor, who has said he has opposed expanded gambling to balance the state budget. Kathy Kandiski, the details of the governor's plan are, being emerge, are emerging as we're taping this program. But I take it expanded, his reversal on expanded gambling is a lot easier to swallow than his reversal on raising taxes. It is. I mean, the governor's ruled out raising taxes, as have the legislative leaders, to try and balance the budget. But with a hole of $3.2 billion, it's hard to imagine doing that with cuts alone. So today, a new plan's emerged that is going to have uh, video lottery terminals, terminal slots in Ohio racetracks and possibly even restaurants and, and bars as well to generate money to help close that gap and reduce the amount of cuts that are going to be needed to balance the budget. What are you hearing? What do they expect as far as money generation? How many dollars can they raise doing this? Well, I've heard that there's, uh, there's hope that they would be able to raise $1.2 billion over the biennium, and that would come in both revenues from the slots themselves and also a licensing fee that people that want them in their facilities would have to pay up front. Reactions. This is just breaking on a Friday afternoon. Not a huge surprise. Three billion dollars is a lot of money to cut from the budget. And as the dispatch reported this week, these worst case scenarios were not pretty. Well, I think you were seeing some softening of positions on gambling. More lawmakers were coming forward and saying that it was something that they would at least consider. It was on the table. You were starting to see some of that chipping away in the legislature. So I'm wondering if you know, now that the governor's done this, that you're going to see more who were might have been on the fence saying, well, maybe let's go ahead and try this. But you do have to look at what happened with Keno. And the governor said it was going to raise a certain amount of money. It fell way short of that. And so you do have to wonder about these numbers and, and wonder if they're going to actually pan out. Will, uh, will the legislators go along with this? House and Senate lawmakers, will they go along with, will they think the same way? Look, We'll take expanded gambling rather than raise taxes. Well, I think you've got to, I mean, I mean I'd defer to Bob on, on this um, um, to a large degree, but the point I would make in terms of political acceptability to all, all folks, you know, this is not an issue, this particular proposal is not an issue that's been rejected by the voters. Uh, this isn't casinos. This isn't citing a casino in a particular area and, and allowing a, an owner to have a constitutional right to own a casino or any of the things that have been rejected in recent elections. This is a lot different um, and I think has a lot more potential political uh, palatability to everybody. Um, but in terms of, of, of bringing the rest of the legislature, and I'd defer to Bob. Well, it's like I think we're to a point well, that Kathy was just talking about. In lieu of raising taxes, what are you going to do to try to make up this kind of a budget deficit? And I think this is one way that you can raise a lot of money, and I think the legislature in general I think will be open to it, whether it finally gets the votes to pass. I don't know. I think it'll somewhat depend on what kind of reaction, public reaction, we're going to get in the next week or so. It's probably the next week because this has all got to be wrapped up by June 30th. 
I think it's going to be hard. You know, pr Senate President Bill Harris, Republican Senate President, has said he is opposed to any new gambling without a vote of the people. So I think it's going to be a little more interesting to watch what happens in the Senate. Speaker Budish, Democratic leader in the House, on the other hand, has, has said, I'm not ruling out anything. Everything's on the table. So there, it'll be interesting to see the dynamics as this plays out in the legislature. $1.2 billion. That's not $3 billion. There's still more to be cut. And as the dispatch reported this week, the worst case scenarios were laid out. And some of these cuts are six prisons closing, tens of thousands of people losing mental health services. Well, now, some of those came from the agencies themselves. Yep. The governor's office asked each agency to develop a 10% cut, 20% cut, 30% cut, worst case scenario. And that one right there that the you're talking about with the prison system was the worst case, 30% yep. cut. cut. And that's a huge cut for that agency. And, you know, some of these things were pretty dire. And, and some of the agencies you saw less dire predictions of, you know, we'll have to scale back, we'll have to lose two or three people, not that two or three... You know, if you're one of those yeah. two or three, it's pretty significant. But those uh, predictions and those forecasts came from the agencies themselves. It don't, I mean, make no mistake that $2 billion in cuts out of the state budget is going to be very noticeable. And you're going to see things like parks, state forests closing. You're going to see lots of state workers losing their jobs. And you're going to see lots of services, particularly in the human services area, adult child protective services, those types of things going away. I think there, it's going to be very noticeable. $2 billion is still a lot because you have to remember, even though this is a $53 billion budget, there's a lot of things that you can't touch in the budget. There's only really a small portion of services that you can look at for, for cutting. One of the things they've promised not to touch that they could is education funding, higher education. They've they basically said you can have the same as you've had for the past couple of years. Is that back on the table? I've heard higher education is back on the table and that they're looking at possibly a $500 million cut. I think right now, and, and what's amazing about all this is we're talking about cuts of $3.2 billion, and we're already balancing or trying to balance it with how much one-time only money this time, $6, 7000000000 billion? of one time only. So, I mean, this problem isn't just a problem today. It's going to be a problem a year from now when they're, sure enough, they're going to find themselves out of whack for the fiscal year, and they got to bring the fiscal year into balance by June 30th of next year. And then even beyond that, when we get past the election in, in the next budget, uh, the gap that's going to be there is going to be 10, 11 billion. So this is a long-term problem that's, that's, that's not going away. But they're hoping the economy recovers somewhat in the next couple of years, if not miraculously in the next couple of years, to ease some of that. To, to create $11 billion would have to be miraculous. <laughs> I mean, I think it's pretty optimistic. There was a report out this week that showed Ohio was among a handful of states which was likely to be the last to recover in this economy. So I, I think it's pretty optimistic, and I would agree that there, there's going to be a huge hole that they're looking at in the next budget. So are these scare tactics? That's always the accusation when government says we're going to lay off police officers, firefighters, close prisons. These Are these scare tactics or are these real cuts that are coming? Well, you keep hearing people say over and over that we've cut the fat. We're now down to bone and muscle. We're, we're down as low as we can go. But when you start talking about closing prisons and you start talking about some of these really high profile things, you do have to wonder if this isn't something, you know, when schools cut sports, I mean, sometimes that's absolutely necessary, but it is something very, very visible. So it does, 
you know, it trims the budget, but it serves the purpose of drawing attention to the fact that there is a problem in terms of making funding decisions over the long haul. The one thing that I think has been shown in the last few statewide elections and racks the last several when it comes to issue campaigns and some of the casino budgets and some of the confusing um, messaging around smoking and uh, bans that were on a few years ago, it's pr been proven, I think, to most people that the voters are pretty smart collectively. And, and that they, they do a pretty good job of sorting out some very complex stuff lots of times. And one of the things, whenever I'm doing a school levy or where, whenever I'm doing one of these things, I really stress with, the, with, with whoever I'm working with is you cannot scare people. You cannot, you, I mean, w people can smell that out a mile away. They can smell the real thing versus, versus the fake thing. I mean, one of the mistakes that school districts make is when they start talking about football. You know, I mean, that's, that, whether or not it's true, is really less important than the public's perception that it's not so much about cutting something that, that's going to economically impact us, but it's 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 a punitive move and, it, and and therefore a threat. The public's very good at being able to weed out kind of the the message between what's real and what isn't in a campaign, and and so I think that when when these when when campaigns resort to the threats or when when a campaign around a legislation. Um, appears to be threatening in nature, it tends to backfire. And so I think the key is is really you know staying focused on what's real and what isn't. Um, okay. Our next topic, a Southern Ohio community with a nuclear past could have a nuclear future. State and business leaders this week announced plans to build a $10 billion nuclear plant near Piketon, near the site of the former uranium enrichment plant. Governor Strickland and Senator George Voinovich both hailed nuclear power as a vital source of energy. State and local officials hailed the hundreds of construction and permanent jobs the plant would bring. But many residents of Pike County are not hailing the plan. They worry about health effects. Karen Kassler, does, does Piketon's nuclear past hurt or help its chances at landing this plant? I'm not sure. I mean, for, it's important for you to mention, like you just did, that, that this is not a done deal. I mean, Duke Energy says this is in the formulative stage. We haven't made a commitment here yet. And certainly I think the idea that Pike County is 15 percent unemployment makes this an attractive place to at least think about this. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of concern down there about the safety of nuclear power. and. Uh, you know, even though the Secretary of Energy was in town this week and was stressing over and over that you know we haven't had an accident since Three Mile Island, and this is a very safe. That the, the Obama administration wants to restart the nuclear industry in this country. There's still plenty of people that have that in their minds that this is not the way we want to go. So I, I think the jury's still out, and, and it, is, it is important to mention that this is not a done deal. Even though you looked yeah. at it, you looked at it on the paper, you, you looked at it any paper, yeah. you heard broadcasts about that we were going to a nuclear power plant in Piketon, but we're not necessarily. Yeah. At the very least, it's probably ten years away. Oh, absolutely. The, if if it even occurs at all, and it, it's the reality now between the carbon tax cap and trade program and the f rising fuel costs that nuclear energy is. Feasible again, economically feasible I think again. It, I think it's great. I mean, I think it's great if it happens. And I don't. I, I kind of understand why they jumped the gun. I mean, uh, uh, politically, you want to look like you're trying to um, bring jobs to Ohio, especially when you've had a situation uh, like Governor Strickland has, where he's lost over 300,000 jobs in the state so far. So you want to look like you're trying to bring in jobs. I think these are great jobs. I think. Um, you know, these are. I, I do believe that nu nuclear en energy is is safe, and and I think it's a great place to put it because of their past. And and um, um, I think a lot of the people down there are f are in favor of it. 
You know, this is a very tough issue uh, for me personally, just uh, partly because I was a horrible physics student and, and all of it kind of <laughs> makes my mind freeze when I start <laughs> to think about it. But, you know, they, I mean, the, the cleanliness uh, argument and, and, and the cost efficiency. But one thing that I do find interesting is, particularly on the right, there uh, is strong support for nuclear energy. And it's like if there's ever a role for government regulation, uh, <laughs> you can't argue against government regulation if you're going to uh, support nuclear energy. And, and, and certainly we've got... Um, um, a, a very strong argument. I think, you know, but I tend to agree with Bob. I think it's it, it, it's good in the long run. Certainly the governor articulated in his electric re-regulation um, a plan um, a support for nuclear energy. He's a long, long-time proponent, um, and he's fought for Piketon for years. So I think, um, you know, I think it's a good thing. Uh, we'll just have to see. When we went down there, you know, we thought because of the high unemployment rate that there'd be overwhelming support for this. But it was very mixed. There was a lot of people who thought that the jobs would be great. But there are a lot of people who remember and know family members who, who got sick and who died, and they blame the uranium plant. And the government has given tens of millions of dollars in, in compensation. Kathy, that, that's, a, that's a legacy that hasn't, that hasn't been erased yeah, in their memories down there. it's a double-edged sword. I mean, it's double-edged. It's like they, they do want the jobs, but anybody that's been affected by what you're talking about is going to be weary. Is that really the kind of jobs they had hoped to get? Probably not. Alternative energy sources like wind and solar. If you spend $10 billion on a nuclear energy, nuclear energy plant, you're not going to spend a whole lot more money on windmills, I'm guessing, if you're Duke Energy or this French company. Does it push that aside for good if you spend all the money on nukes? I think if they're smart, it won't because you've got to look at all the different uh, alternatives, including additional drilling, which I know a lot of people aren't <laughs> for, but I'm for. I mean, we've got to look at those areas that we haven't been drilling that we should be drilling here in the United States. Well, I think, you know, you look at the ethanol debate, you know, that's an example of where there isn't one silver bullet that's going to solve everything. And so nuclear power is one potential possibility than wind power. And I think we're starting to see companies realize that you can't just have one solution. That be the only answer. You've got to investigate a lot of different options and see what works and what doesn't. All right. Our next topic, the big point of contention in the campaign for and against the Columbus income tax increase is the so-called capital set-aside. Local law mandates the city set aside 25 percent of its income tax revenue to repay the loans it takes out to pay for capital projects. Such projects could be fire trucks, street repaving, or a new bridge over the Scioto River. Opponents of the tax hike say the city should temporarily use some of that set-aside revenue to pay for services like police and fire protection. Greg Haas, is that a good plan to go forward, even in these tough times? Well, first of all, I mean, if you do take that money aside, a lot of it is voted bond money and would have to be replaced. Um, and the way in which it would be replaced, as, as these bond issues have been passed since the late 1950s in, 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 in uh, Columbus, uh, would be through a property tax. So what, what, what the opponents... Even going uh, forward from August, yes, October, yes, yes, future those are voted Because well, those have already been voted on. Um, and they were vo they voted on in the, in, 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 the, in the last election. But, it, but the, the bottom line is, and what the, what the critics of the, of the mayor's proposal aren't saying, is that, that if you take uh, this money away from committed um, projects that the voters have voted on, you replace that with property tax. So that in, in essence, they're saying that, that, that we'll raise property taxes. Um, and and, and to, to a large degree, it could be as much for an average house as $200 a year. So it's all, almost an offset in the end. That, but more importantly, that fund has been it, it, one of the reasons that people look at Columbus and say, boy, what a beautiful town, what a clean city. 
Uh, and if you compare our roads and our sidewalks to other cities, there's a marked difference. Uh, th this this fund has been a, a winner for Columbus. It's it's one of the reasons that we have the kind of standard that we have. And a very important thing and a very misleading thing that's been said, because downtown projects are far more visible to everybody, they get a lot more attention. First of all, a lot of that's federal money that goes into those projects. And the overwhelming majority, I think in the vicinity of 90% of the, of the capital budget goes into the neighborhoods. It's street resurfacing, sidewalks. Um, uh, curbs, a lot of those kind of projects. And, and, and so, you know, it's, it's important that people understand that what we're talking about is something that, that has been a, a proven winner for the community. And whether it's the Chamber of Commerce, which overwhelmingly endorsed the, 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 uh, the mayor's proposal, the, the dispatch, uh, a host of others of, of business and, and management and labor, uh, all of which who've endorsed this proposal, all, all stand by protecting that, that fund. But if you look at your own household budget, if you've lost your job or lost, cut your hours cut, you might put off a repair of the roof or the driveway or the, of the buying new windows. That's what, that, that's what the average voter is going to think. Yeah, and that's, and that's what they do think. And I think it's worked well while we've had money in Columbus. Now we don't, and I think you've got to re reassess the way you're doing business. You don't necessarily just go ahead and do it the same way you've always done it. That 25%, if I'm not mistaken, is something that was legislatively passed by city council. Well, no, but in, in, in the bond issues that have passed, if that money is not there, if it's taken away, it's very specific. In every bond issue that the city has passed since the 1950s, it, it, that funding will be replaced by property taxes. So in essence you're saying either so, go for the tax or you're going to get a higher property tax. Exactly. No that's that's so, what that's what the voters have, have voted on and that's that and, and that's the case. So and when you compare it to your home All of that money that's like, set aside? Like, yes. All of that? Yes. Yes. Is, it has to be replaced by property taxes. Exactly. It, now, did, These did, are did voted the, bonds. These did, the, the, did the bond issuers say if the city raises its income tax by 25%, all of that 25% increase has to go to pay for these bonds? Uh, I'm not sure. That's a good question. I don't know. Because that's the new money they're getting, $100 million a year. But regardless, that's, money. That's, that's, that's certainly um, um, not money that will be there if the bond issue or if the, if the tax levy doesn't pass. Um, but to go back to this, it's very important, and you use the house as an example. This would be like not paying your mortgage. I mean, it's not like not building onto the back of the house. It's like not paying for things that you have committed to, that you've begun to build, that you've financed. Um, so, you know, it, it's, not, it's not a frivolous expenditure uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Chamber of Commerce, um, they say that they are supporting this because the city has promised to devote some of this increase to create jobs. Aren't they just promising more tax abatements down the road is going to cut into the city's yeah. revenues? And, and the chamber's interested in that downtown redevelopment. I mean, that's that's the whole thing. He talk, you know, Greg's talking about money being spent in neighborhoods, but I'll tell you, the average person sees a lot of money going into downtown. And if you go, go walk through downtown right now, you'll see construction occurring everywhere around downtown. But no, no city money. Despite, I mean, despite the misinformation, no city money on, uh, is being spent on the city center plan. Um, um, all of these projects involve private funding. They involve federal funding. They involve all, the all kinds of other of expenditures. City center? Is that all no, there is no city money in tearing down city center. That's but one it of the was great misnomers. Sure, thirty and in thirty will be ago. in building what's going to take its no, place. No, that's not true. There's no city money going to be used for any of that building there's for any of that redevelopment. No, there's not city money involved in that. Um, Let me ask you one more question. Right, going going forward, forward to the talking uh, about last topic. Isn't it, isn't it, more, isn't it f fairer that 
property taxes pay for things like street repair and fire trucks rather than income taxes that are paid by people who live in the city and people who don't live in the city. I think when you drive into Columbus from a suburb, you drive in on city roads, mm -hmm. city bridges, you know, you follow a snow plow into Columbus from, from, from wherever you live and work that's paid for by the taxpayers. Uh, you spend a, a, a huge chunk of your life here. Columbus provides you an opportunity for, for employ gainful employment. Uh, so it, to me, uh, it's fair that that, that that money is spent by people who are benefiting from the city of Columbus across the board, not just people who sleep here. Okay. Our final topic, a new study highlights Ohio's brain drain problem. The Thomas B. Fordham Institute found that 51% of native Ohio college students plan to leave the state after graduation. The survey found that some students might reconsider if the state offered incentives for them to stay, like a cash grant for a house down payment or an income tax credit. Bob Clegg, should we be paying college students to stay here? <laughs> we got tax abatements for college students. <laughs> That's what we turned into. Um, I tell you, it's, it's, it's symptomatic of Ohio as it is today. I mean, to get a, to get a company to, to locate to Ohio, to get students to stay in Ohio, you're going to have to provide some kind of economic incentive because um, the environment in Ohio isn't real appealing to a 25-year-old kid. I'm sorry. Um, and it's just uh, when you look at the number of jobs we've lost in the last couple of years and just the, 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 the depressed economic activity that's, uh, that's going on in the state, it's tough to get young people to stay in the state. And they're going to have to think of some ways to do that. Plus, Carrie mentioned all the oceanfront property we've lost over the last several years. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's another factor. I mean, let's face it. Well, California is yeah. a little more attractive than Ohio as far as social life goes. Well, of course. And, you know, you'll hear people talk about they want to move to Florida or Texas or whatever because there's no income tax there or whatever. But, but there are a lot of reasons that people make the decision to leave. And But I think college graduates make the decision to leave because they go where the jobs are. And if there's no job in Ohio, well, I got to go to Chicago or, uh, you know, wherever the, the Southwest, wherever they're going to hire me. And so that, that's the big struggling point that we've got to get over is we've got to find a way to get these kids employed. That's right. We're not going to create oceans and mountains and other scenic things that are going to keep people here. The best thing for us to do is to have jobs and opportunities here. I think that for young people, as Karen said, when you graduate, you go where the job are. And I think that continues throughout your whole life. You go where the jobs are. Well, I think if you stay here in Ohio, you realize that the cost of living here is pretty reasonable, especially when you compare it to other states like California yeah. and New York and New yeah. Jersey. And But, you know, you got to keep them here at least for the first assuming couple of years. Assuming you had a job. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, assuming you had a job that you could live here. That's, yeah. a, that's exactly right, because if, if students are staying here to go to college, then that's a, that's a statement at least that they're inclined to stay here. You know, I mean, that's the point where if you if you just can't wait to get out because you got to get next to an ocean or you got to get on top of a mountain, you know, then then you look for a college that might might be there. But the fact is that students are making a commitment to Ohio or at least an, an, an interest in Ohio. But the jobs aren't here and, and, and they're leaving. But if you look at, for instance, if you look at Columbus and a lot of things that are happening in terms of downtown, in terms of the short north, in terms of some of these areas where there, there are huge magnets, there is a quality of life. There is a, uh, something that kids are attracted to. Young people are attracted to and, it, and we don't need mountains to do it but we need you know but but by fostering that that um, creative class I think is is the way it's often referred to um, communities in the state of Ohio can do that 
without the oceans and without the mountains, but we've got to be creative in how we go about doing we it. We should point out this survey has faced some criticism. Uh, the group says it's nonpartisan, but it supports charter schools and reforms to higher ed, and they use Facebook as a polling device, which <laughs> questioned the, the accuracy of it. It also says intend to leave the state. Doesn't they haven't pulled up the moving truck yet? So this hope yet, Kathy? Right, right. I think it said of those of the Ohio students in Ohio colleges about half intend to leave the state and for those that are um, non-Ohio students mm -hmm. I think it's higher about 70 75 yep. percent intend to leave the state but you know I, I, this the study's interesting but to your point you s a lot of students come to Ohio to go to college because Ohio has a lot of good colleges right. and universities no, true a lot of people would come to Ohio to yeah. work if Ohio had a lot of good exactly. jobs and opportunities it's the same thing exactly and then are counting the folks who go into Indiana who want to move to Ohio Right. Okay. This gets our weekly off-the-record comments from our panel. Final thoughts, predictions for the weeks ahead. Kathy Kandiski, you're up first. Well, I'm glad I'm up first because <laughs> I'm going to latch on to that gambling, and I'm going to predict <laughs> that we are going to have gambling in the budget. We are not going to have to balance the budget. No tax increase, but gambling, and they probably will come up with another idea for raising revenues so to uh, blunt the, the cuts that are going to have to be made. Karen. Well, I think the 2010 ballot is starting to get really interesting because there's a video that's going around <laughs> <laughs> that we've all watched. Um, okay, apparently, candidates topless is, is now okay. Lee Fisher. Lee Fisher. Lee Fisher. Lee Fisher. And it's interesting that I've gotten it from several people, including some people, you know, of course, he's running for the Democratic nomination for U.S. Senate. I've gotten it from some Republicans, and it's labeled on YouTube as Lee Fisher's gun show, which uh, <laughs> it, it certainly shapes up to be an interesting campaign next year already. Bob. I'm going to predict that that video of Lee Fisher is not going to help his campaign for U.S. Senate <laughs> next year. It's Greg. certainly getting us talking. Uh, yes, yes, it right. is. Well, uh, my prediction actually goes back to the gambling thing. When gamblers talk to you about the odds, the point spread, uh, pay attention. When they talk to you about how much money they're going to generate, you can not pay attention. Uh, I think we're going to come up short of whatever is anticipated uh, in in and gambling projections. More to talk about. My final thought is a correction. Last week on this program, it was mentioned that Mark Dan had lost his law license. He has not. Mark Dan is actively practicing law, and we apologize for that error. That is Columbus on the Record for this week. You can continue this conversation at our website. Our question this week, what can be done to keep college graduates in Ohio? That's on our website, wosu.org slash cotr. For our crew here at WOSU at COSI and for our panel, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week.